There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10th and Grinch microbiter. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm your host retired nypd sergeant bill cannon a 27 year veteran of the nypd folks we all been watching this show the uh excuse me this case with scott peterson the uh broward county uh school resource officer who was charged with highly we, we feel highly inflated charges in regards to what can only be described as a failure to act, an act or acts of omission. And one of the things that we feel or what we'll interject with uh, two guests who are both attorneys is that Scott Peterson, the school resource officer, was overcharged, overcharged by, I guess, a prosecutor who was driven by politics, really. And, and, and we, we say that very softly because 17 people were killed in this in, incident in Parkland. And it, the actual the school was a Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School. So we can't put it any more harshly than that because... You know, responding to an active shooting incident is a is a uh, an incident or one of the worst things that could ever happen in policing. But in addition, just think of, of being a parent and having your kid murdered at the school that they attend. The school is a place where you're supposed to go, and you're supposed to be safe. But at the same time, this case had national implications, and that I mean national implications because what if police officers in any jurisdiction in this great country of ours could be charged criminally for acts of omission failure to act basically how would how would that work out and who's going to decide what is an act of omission and what constitutes omission and obviously uh the prosecutors in this case decided that they they knew what omission was and that they could determine that his omission was so serious that the resulting charges would be seven counts of child neglect that was to be charged as a felony and three counts of culpable negligence. These are very, very serious charges. However, we believe on this show... Uh, that they were inflated charges. So as we learned a couple of days ago, a jury has acquitted on all counts the former school resource officer who stayed outside during the February 2018 massacre at Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, absolving him of wrongdoing in the rare trial of a law enforcement officer for his response to a mass shooting. State prosecutors accused Peterson Peterson of ignoring his training and doing nothing as 17 people, including 14 students, 
were gunned down at the Stoneham Douglas High School in what remains the deadliest U.S. high school shooting ever. His attorney argued the then-deputy didn't enter the school's 1200 building, the site of the attack, because he couldn't tell where the shots were coming from. The only person to blame was that monster, Peterson said of the shooter. There wasn't any law enforcement, nobody on the scene from the BSO, the Coral Springs. Everybody did the best they could. We did the best we could with the information we had. And God knows we wish we had more at that point. The seven counts, this is according to CNN, the seven counts of felony child neglect and three counts of culpable negligence each stem from the deaths and injuries of eight students, seven of them minors and two employees on the third floor of the 1200 building. Teacher Scott Beagle and students Meadow Pollock, Jamie Guttenberg, Carol Lockwin, Joe Quinolive, and Peter Wang all were killed by teachers Stacy Lapel and students Anthony Borges, Kyle Lehman, and Marian Kabachenko were wounded and survived. Peterson was not charged in connection with the victims on the first floor because he had not yet arrived on the scene and no one was killed on the second floor. He also faced a perjury charge telling investigators afterward that he didn't see students fleeing the 1200 building and that he heard only two or three gunshots after arriving at the scene while other witnesses said they heard more. The state claimed the evidence showed both statements were untrue. So let's let's get right into it. And, and to help me talk about this case tonight, I have three very, very experienced people uh, are frequently on this show and I introduce them one at a time. Straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know, Phil, I'm going to take it one at a time till we introduce the others. But we being charged with failure to act, what are the national implications of that? What do you think of that? And then we'll get into what Officer Peterson's actions were, if you can call them actions. Well, Billy, uh, you know, failure to act, uh, you and I discussed this before we went on the air. Uh, to us, it seemed like more of an administrative thing. Uh, from what we saw with regard to the uh, trial, there was some video evidence played. Uh, it looked like he was panic-stricken. Um, shots were going off. Uh, he didn't enter the building. Uh, he claimed to his, – his lawyer made a statement that uh, Peterson couldn't accur accurately detect where the shots were coming from. Uh, I guess that could be possible. Uh, shots ringing off in the distance uh, with echoes. Maybe you think they're coming from this direction. And in fact, they're coming from that direction. However, uh, with the, the day and age that we live in with active shooter drills, we're trained, uh, police officers are trained to go towards uh, the threat and to neutralize the threat. Uh, the threat. It, it appears that he didn't do that. Um, like, like I said earlier, it looked to me like he panicked. Uh, whether or not uh, that is a uh, a criminal act, I don't think. Uh, you know, it, it's really tough because it's not like he didn't do anything. Did he radio for assistance and backup? Did he feel that uh, it was a it was a, a suicide mission to go into that school? Uh, I don't know what was going through his mind. Uh, whatever he did to assess the situation at the moment uh, that the shooting began, uh, from what we see, it looks like he didn't act properly. Based on the protocols of 20, well, this is 2018, but uh, the modern day protocols of active shooter 
training. You're supposed to go in and you're supposed to go towards the threat. Uh, they, they're claiming about four minutes and 15 seconds passed where uh, something could have been done before the shooter's gun uh, likely jammed. Uh, the shooter wound up leaving uh, the school and was captured uh, minutes later outside of the school. He had gone to some uh, location and got a soda. But the point that I bring that up is, is that it sounds like communication was so bad. Uh, EMS people were quoted as saying that they were told to stand down and not go into the school even after Nicholas Cruz was taken into custody. So again, a very chaotic situation. He made a judgment call not to go into the school. He claimed now that he didn't know where the shots were coming from. Whether or not that's true, it looks like, uh, you know, from from a, a standpoint of, of of doing the right thing, that he didn't do the right thing. All right. With us tonight also, uh, Phil, we'll get back to that because we're, we're going to address uh, more of his actions or lack thereof uh, as the show progresses. We also have with us tonight attorney, mother of five, actress, jack of all trades, practically and a great guest on the show. Melanie Little. Melanie, welcome to the show tonight. Thank you so much for having me. You didn't call me always affable, which I've uh, adopted. Hey, I got to change up every once in a while. I always affable part. I got to change up every once in a while. I can't About this case. This is, a, this is a tragic case, no matter which way you look at it. So, You know, Melanie, um, one of the first things I want to ask you about this, and we discussed it a little bit off the air, is that we'll put aside uh, Officer... Um, Peterson's actions or, or inactions, the court's action. We felt, and I believe you probably feel, but you can speak much more articulately about the law than we can. Was he overcharged? I mean, he was facing 100 years in jail. To me, that indicates that he was overcharged. And I think the jury may have had a really hard time with that. You know, the shooter pled guilty. He is serving multiple life sentences in prison. He will never see the light of day. But I feel like they just wanted to hold somebody else responsible for this heinous act as well. And um, I think they kind of overplayed their hand on this one. That's what I think. You know, there was a four-month death penalty trial for Nicholas Cruz, who was the actual shooter. And the jury could not agree on the death penalty. They were deadlocked, so he did not receive the death penalty. But, I mean, that's something else we can talk about. After this case, DeSantis signed a bill and changed the way the death penalty is handed out in Florida. There doesn't have to be a unanimous verdict anymore. So there's something that happened uh, from this case that could be considered positive. Melanie, I want you to comment on this comment by mm -hmm. Milwaukee civilian in the chat. Some call him the coward from Broward, but in DeShaney versus Winnebago and Warren versus District of Columbia, the Supreme Court has determined that police have no constitutional obligation to act. To me, that's scary, but that is the law, isn't it? You know, it is. <laughs> and it's a slippery slope, too, because where do you draw the line? You know, this was a massive high school. This was There were 3,300 students in this high school. This was not a one-building high school like we see on Long Island, there's, this was something like a 65 acre campus with multiple buildings. You know, I, I there's a lot of facts here that I think, um, you know, and look, the jury deliberated for 20 hours. They watched four weeks of testimony. I think they know a lot more about this case than we do, being that they sat there for all of this time, listening to all of this evidence. 
You know, Melanie, as much as um, I don't think Officer uh, Scott Peterson did a good job or did his job that day, he was also a 31-year veteran that had a spotless record. Mm -hmm. And although I can't stick up for him for his inactivity that day, it's like the, the old expression, I've said it numerous times on this show, a thousand attaboys don't equal one ah shit. And this was a big ah shit, yeah. you know? And by that, yeah. I mean, you know, attaboy, attaboy, they tap you on the back. You make one mistake, this, but again, this was a huge, huge mistake that resulted in 17 lives being lost. And he has so, to live but, with that for the rest of his life. You know something, Melly? And you're right. That's what I almost feel will be his punishment mm -hmm. is that let him have his pension. Um, he's going to have to live with himself and the guilt of his inaction that day with us tonight also is um, straight out of the Bronx, actually <laughs> professor from Albertus Magnus law degree, retired NYPD Sergeant professor Mike Geary. Mike, how you doing tonight? Good, Billy. Thank you for having me on. You know, Mike, I want to ask you also, uh, I, I, I gave that question to Melanie, but I want to lay it on you too, because you're all, besides being an attorney, you're also a former member of the service, a retired NYPD sergeant. Was he overcharged in this case? Billy, he was because, and I say that because under the uh, Florida statutes that he was charged under, it's not clear that uh, school resource officers uh, are people who have a special relationship with students and are therefore statutorily required to act. It sounds a little strange, but um, I watched the, uh, the uh, defense's request to have the uh, charges dropped uh, completely at the end of the, uh, of the people of the state of Florida's case. And uh, it's like a 30 minute uh, hearing and the judge was going back and forth to the prosecutor over what it meant to, to, to be a, a civil servant and be in custody of children and being a civil servant and actually having a statutory duty to act. And what does the word um, causation mean? Because the judge was having trouble with that. And it was very, very clear from, from, the, uh, from the defendant's motion that the judge reluctantly uh, denied the defense's motion to uh, to throw out, throw out the charges even before the defense got to present their own witnesses. And so um, the law wasn't clear on who is statutorily responsible to act and who isn't. Uh, that will probably change now in states going forward. But yes, I, I agree that he was definitely overcharged. You know, I want to play a little bit of this from ABC News. And this is some of the teachers and the students in regards to Officer Scott Peterson's actions or lack thereof. Shock and anger after this stunning admission from the Sheriff's Department yesterday. What I saw was a deputy arrive at the west side of Building 12, take up a position, and he never went in. Sheriff Scott Israel describing how Scott Peterson, an armed school resource deputy assigned to protect Stoneman Douglas High School, failed to take action. Peterson waiting outside for four minutes as the shooting unfolded. Was he there when the shooter was still inside the building? Yes, he was. So what should he have done? He went in, addressed the killer, 
killed the killer. Cops know it's their responsibility to go in there because we all know that in an active shooter situation, in the first couple of seconds, that's when most of the death occurs. I'm Scott Peterson. Um, I've been a uh, police officer for 30 years. The deputy in question, 54-year-old Scott Peterson, had worked at the school for eight years. Had you had any interaction oh, yeah. with Scott Peterson? Yeah, I, I, you know, Scott and I have talked many times over the years. School internal documents painting a glowing picture of Peterson. In 2014, he was awarded School Resource Officer of the Year, commending him as reliable in handling issues with tact and judgment. I knew right when I heard the cafeteria, you know where you get the hairs on the back of your neck going up? I said, that never goes off. And he's seen here addressing a school board meeting in 2015, describing his response to security scenarios. So I ran into my trailer. I grabbed my firearm and, and, and my ID and my shorts and my sneakers. And I ran over, obviously, to the cafeteria. As I got to the cafeteria, sure enough, there were four males inside the cafeteria. They see me. They saw me peeking through the glass. They obviously fled. I chased them. I'm getting older, but I started chasing them. I, Peterson caught those teens. But officials say on Valentine's Day, he did nothing. You don't think about at school this stuff happening, but when it does, I feel like you need to be able to act on that and, you know, act as a police officer. Facing suspension, Peterson opted to resign and retire. But the local union tonight told ABC News that Peterson did do a good job in calling the exact location and getting units out there, adding if first responders don't go into active shooting situations, they have failed. It has to be something that you have to understand. You can't run away from the danger. The response to Peterson's lack of action has been swift. To hear that he didn't go into school is just, that's your job. That's who you signed up for. You signed up to protect our school. Were you surprised? Shocked. Shocked that someone shrank with a gun. You know, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of the story, but if all of that is actually true, that's, that's beyond comprehensible. Even the president weighing in. Deputy Sheriff. Peterson, I guess his name is, he certainly did a poor job. But that's a case where somebody was outside, they're trained, they didn't react properly under pressure or they were cowards. A week and a half after the tragedy that claimed the lives of 17 students and teachers, Peterson's inaction, just the latest in a string of mistakes and missed red flags coming sharply into focus. The FBI admitting last week that it failed to act on a tip an anonymous female tipster telling the FBI that Cruz was going to explode. The tipster describing Cruz as a violent child who killed animals, posted about firearms and ISIS. She eventually even tells the FBI she worries about him getting into a school and just shooting the place up. And we keep hearing every day about something new that was missed or something new that should have been done based on information that was reported to law enforcement. But this was just one of dozens of concerns flagged to authorities. Since 2008, the Broward Sheriff's Office was involved in 23 type calls involving the killer in some way, shape or form, or his brother. According to the Sheriff's Department, none of these incidents were arrestable under Florida law, but two calls are still under review. 911 emergency, how can I help you? Yeah, there was a fight in my house. Um, there's a kid and uh, my son. I'm punching him and now he left the house, but I need someone here because I'm afraid he comes back and he has a lot of weapons. He put the gun in the head of his brother before, so it's not the first time. And he did that to his mom. ABC News has obtained recordings of these frightening 911 calls made multiple times by the family who'd taken in Cruz after his mother died.
pretty scary, right? Uh, and, you know, something, when you hear that law enforcement had all these calls, I believe they said they, had, they went on 23 prior calls in regards to the shooter. And based on the law, they couldn't, they did all they could do, except, I mean, they should have confiscated his guns, I would think. Uh, I'm sure that they could look back on that and say we sh woulda, shoulda, coulda. But what I wanted to speak about also is the Broward County chief who we just saw on the air, who that interview was done eight days after this incident. I was a little disturbed at the fact that he didn't back his guy up uh, with so soon after the incident. Like, couldn't he have said, look, it's still under investigation. We're waiting to for more for more facts and circuit want to do a before we throw him under the bus. He threw him under the bus eight days after this event. Mike, what do you think? Billy, he did. He did. And, and that's sad because um, Scott Peterson brought out a defense witness who was a, a training officer and discussed the training that Scott Peterson actually received over the past couple of years and brought uh, and his attorney brought to light the fact that uh, there's different protocol for different scenarios. And if a if an officer is by themselves, by themselves and they're awaiting backup, they are not required under their protocols to actually go into an active shooter uh, scenario. They could wait for backup if they felt they needed to. Uh, so it wasn't absolute mandatory, according to their own rules, regulations, that he actually entered that building by himself. So, you know, I think you're right um, that that, uh, you know, chief is he's a real he's he's a, in a public eye. He wants to make a good impression. He wants to sell out someone. He wants someone to pay. Uh, nobody's talking about an FBI, uh, an informant uh, who gave information to the Bureau, and that got lost. Nobody in the FBI is responsible for that. Um, and uh, they were looking to, uh, you know, throw meat to the to the wolves. And uh, Scapegoat. What's that? Scapegoat. Scapegoat. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. It's the best way to say it. See, they scapegoated him. Absolutely. Well, I, was just, I was just a little amazed at how quickly – he threw him under the bus. And just for everyone's information, Chief Scott Israel was fired by uh, Governor DeSantis, I believe, over this incident. And um, so he threw someone under the bus. Look, we, Mike, you were a boss. I was a boss on the NYPD. One of the first things you learn is to back up your guys. Even sometimes when they do something not 100% correctly, it's not your job. It's your job to try to maybe correct it what do they say? Um, praise publicly. Uh, punish correct, private. Punish privately. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I never could get that little limerick. Praise <laughs> publicly. Uh, punish privately. Right. And um, I tried to do that with my kids too. <laughs> but that didn't always. Work. Don't Melanie, embarrass them. What are your thoughts on this, Melanie? What do you think with um, his inaction? Again, we talked about how it didn't. We don't feel it fit the threshold of charging him criminal, but. There he has an out right there in their criminal in their procedures, their actual police procedures that he wasn't required to take action till basically till the cavalry got there. Yeah, that, that's that's one aspect of this. Another aspect of this is that if you look at the charges, neglect of a child in order to criminally convict someone of that charge, you have to prove that they are a caregiver under the law. And I think this may be where the jury got hung up. And somebody mentioned this in the chat. So thank you for that. 
a caregiver under the law is defined as a parent, adult household member, or other person responsible for a child's welfare. If they did not find him a caregiver, they could not convict him of neglect of a child. Again, overcharged because they wanted their meat on the hoof. And again, Mm -hmm. I don't, I cannot defend Officer Scott Peterson's actions. However, the reaction to what he neglected for an act of omission. And I don't buy that he didn't know where the shots were coming from. I don't buy that at all. He had over four or five minutes to hear them and go into the building. And guess what? You'll hear them better if you go into the building. If you stand outside and look at the brick walls, you're not helping anybody. So I hate to be so harsh. And as I said earlier on, I'm glad that he's not going to prison. I'm glad that he got his pension. And if people are obsessed with his punishment, he's going to live with this for the rest of his life. And that is the most silent punishment you could possibly have. Phil. Billy, I just want to make a point about something that Mike said and that Melanie said. Now, Mike, you were talking about how, um, you know, uh, he, he was not obligated to take an action and whatever his actions were, he was assessing the situation. But I think it was proven in court that he did try to do something. He called for backup. Uh, you taught, you pointed out that uh, based on the protocols that uh, if he's by himself, he doesn't have to enter the building. But I think ethically, we all are in agreement that he should have entered into that building. Uh, the story about, you know, not knowing where the shot's coming from. Uh, I think uh, the, the investigator, I'm sorry, the prosecutor said he didn't do anything to search for and confront the shooter. I think that makes a lot of sense. She said that in the closing arguments. So again, uh, uh, you know, if he had gone into the building, maybe just peered in a little bit, he might've had a better idea of where the shots were coming from. And listen, we all know uh, if someone's firing shots and shots start being fired at them, their whole uh, mindset changes. Perhaps that could have ended it right there. Uh, you know, it's kind of Monday morning quarterbacking, but uh, you know, doing nothing allowed this uh, maniac to roam those uh, halls of that school and, and shoot and kill people for four minutes and 15 seconds. And then what Melanie said about uh, the fact that, um, you know, uh, the, the law really was improving based on the fact that uh, he wasn't, a, 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 you know, a caregiver of the children. So I think based on politics, that's why you saw Scott Israel throw him under the bus. Uh, there was a lot of things that happened before this maniac entered that school. Uh, there was a lot of red flags. They weren't followed. Uh, they weren't acted upon. So now uh, we have this horrible tragedy. What are we going to focus on? The fact that Peterson didn't go into the school and, uh, you know, the investigation revealed that he retreated while children were under attack. And I think that's a very powerful statement. Um, I'm not trying to defend his actions. Believe me, I'm not. Uh, I've told Billy uh, off the air that uh, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I was in his shoes and didn't try and neutralize that shoot. I would have entered the school. Uh, I, I believe that I really would have. I mean, it's easy to say it from sitting where I'm sitting right now, but I know how I was as a cop. Uh, something like that, an active shooter. Uh, you got to get to the. You got to get to the shooter, and you got to try and neutralize him. And again, uh, I'm going to make that point again. When you're being shot at, you know his mindset is one thing. He's got that big AR-15, and he's firing shots at people, and he's in control. He's got all this power. The minute bullets start coming his way, everything changes. His whole mindset changes, and perhaps that could have ended it right then and there. Uh, again, uh, we know what the outcome was. We feel that. There was overcharging in this case, and I think the jury got it right. 
This is uh, from ABC News. I want to play a little bit of this. Watch how this kid walks by as he's preparing to go into the school. High school during the attack. ABC's Ariel Reshef is here with the details on that. Ariel, good morning. Good morning to you guys. Those images from inside the high school showing the moments leading up to that deadly rampage and a series of apparent security failures by police and school officials. A warning if there are children in the room, the content here may be disturbing. Possible shots fired at Stoneman Douglas High School. This morning, chilling images and 911 calls from the Parkland Massacre, painting a timeline of terror. 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz, seen here loading an AR-15 in the hallway of Stoneman Douglas High School as a frightened freshman walks past. The Sun Sentinel reporting that according to that freshman, Cruz telling him, you'd better get out of here, things are going to start getting messy. Moments later, Cruz killing 17 students and staff. The release of surveillance videos and audio, all part of a scathing draft report from a Florida State Commission, shining a light on a host of fateful security missteps. If we can't protect our children in schools, then who can we protect? Doors unlocked, the gates open, allowing crews to get inside undetected. He got into the 1200 building because that door was unlocked and unstaffed, and that we say that that is a security failure. A campus security monitor failing to call a code red after seeing crews carrying a rifle bag. The report saying the spray of bullets set off a fire alarm, sending panicked students and teachers out of their classrooms to escape. This picture capturing kids trapped helplessly in a crammed hallway. Meanwhile, cameras showing school resource officer Deputy Scott Peterson waiting outside on his radio instead of trying to stop the gunman. I think we got Five minutes go by before police officers even enter the building. Cops using surveillance footage on a 20-minute delay to try to track down the armed assailant who had already escaped, according to the Sun Sentinel. They are monitoring the subject right now. He went from the third floor to the second floor. While they tried to locate Cruz, he's seen here a few blocks from campus at this McDonald's. Finally, just under an hour later, taken into custody. A judge entered a not guilty plea for Nicolas Cruz in March. Since the attack, the sheriff's office says it has made some major changes in policy. The findings and a list of recommendations for school safety will be turned over to the Florida governor, guys, next week. So many issues here. Not so having many. a PA system, having a security cameras that are on a 20-minute delay. Yeah, you have five minutes for police to enter the building. So think about what happened in those five minutes. Yeah, hopefully less. I just love the news, you know, qu talking about stuff they know nothing about. Oh my God, a 20 minute delay. Uh, about, it just, it just kills me because they have, they have no, no clue about anything, but they, they want to editorialize about it. Uh, folks, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime from a police perspective, you're in the right place. If you're not subscribed, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up. And ring that bell if you want to support us financially. We have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel membership with five different levels. And you see the folks in the green font. They're part of our YouTube channel members. And we really appreciate all of them. So as we could see, there's, there was many, many. Um, I would imagine, Melanie, you talk about the civil suits to this. The <laughs> I have so many suits. things to say right now. 
Well, oh, go ahead, Melanie. I'll let you, you go I ahead. have so Speak many things to say, and I'm going to say what everybody's thinking, at least in the chat, right. and what I'm thinking as a mother, as someone who's not trained as a police officer, I have a lot of things to say about this. Number one, the radios that these guys had sucked. I watched the testimony. Their radios sucked. Everybody knew it. He had to go outside to talk on that radio to try and get some comms because he couldn't get comms. That's number one. Number two, he did not run to his car to get a vest like a lot of the other guys did. He stood there and he waited. Number three, it took this disgusting Nicholas Cruz killer somewhere between four and a half minutes and six minutes to kill 17 people. If he had gone into the building, would the outcome have been different? It may have already been done by that time. So to prosecute this guy criminally is, I don't know, as a mother, it even it even shocks me. I mean, this guy knew these students. He, he loved them. He, you know, there's a difference between a legal duty and a moral duty, okay? Uh, just because somebody may have a moral duty to, some, to do something doesn't mean that you can throw them in jail for 100 years because they didn't do something. And also, civil cases for wrongful death may be successful against him. I just think it was a big overreach. It was a huge, huge risk to do this. And the optics are, are just bad. And I feel bad for the guy. I, I, I watched the testimony and I, I genuinely think, and I'm not a trained police officer, as you know, he may not have known where those shots were coming from. There were multiple buildings and echoes and, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I feel bad for the guy. That's all I'm going to say. I'll stop well, that's a lot of, uh, really heartfelt um, information you just gave out. But now I'm going to bring in a heartless guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Thank you, Bill. Well, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this being a heartless police officer? How, how do you feel about this? I, I thought what Melanie said was excellent. In fact, the distinction between a moral duty to act and, an, and a legal duty to act is, is a huge wide chasm. And I talked to this about my students. Just because something seems wrong doesn't mean it's legally wrong. Uh, and not in all kinds of cases. So we know that the law wasn't really exact as to what his status was as a caregiver. Um, you know, and so we, we do know that overall that police do not have a specific duty uh, to act to save a particular person unless some sort of special relationship has formed. Like, for instance, if you uh, take into custody an abused child, you have to make sure that they get proper medical care you know, that sort of thing. As an officer, you know, you take, you think of those child abuse cases you handled, you have to make sure they get proper medical care. Beyond that, you're not responsible for what happens to them afterwards. But, you know, you, but so no special relationship existed. He was not considered a caregiver under, under, um, under, under uh, Florida state law. Um, and uh, look, and I just want everybody in the, in the chat room to realize that, you know, he, all he had to do was actually go into that building he might not have been able to save even one person, but he didn't in investigate what building. Like, I didn't see him run from one building to another, or even walk from one building to another. And that's what is disturbing to me as an officer. I remember uh, working in the Bronx, working in, in Manhattan with, with, and Billy, you know my partner, Augie, in the Bronx, where many calls running into buildings, shots fired from the roof, shots fired to the third floor apartment, and you don't get a lot of information. And you go there, you just take out your firearm, you and your partner, you do the best you possibly can under the circumstances. You don't know what's going to happen. You do the best you can. And I think for 
his best that day was lacking and therefore everyone and the children paid the ultimate price for his lack of ability that day. But um, all he had to do was move and he didn't move. So I have to fault him. And I think that uh, his punishment is going to be, uh, like you say, living with that knowledge that he didn't do anything to try to um, save those children. And Mike, I don't really believe that you're heartless. I, Thank you, Billy. <laughs> I just was trying to add a little levity to this. Fuzzy Doxy, thank you so much for the $9.99 super sticker. And Melanie, I agree with that cute little dog in the picture there, Melanie. They like your passion. They like where you're coming from. I want to play a little bit of um, Scott Peterson after he was acquitted. Here he is in court. Just think this was going on from a personal point of view, from his personal point of view. For five years. Imagine being on the hot seat for five years. And he was suspended without pay. I don't know how he supported himself over these last few years. Yeah, for not taking action during the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School uh, almost five years ago. He continues to be uh, overwhelmed with emotion. Did anybody ever forget this was a massacre on February 14th? The only person to blame was that monster. It wasn't any law enforcement. Nobody on that scene from BSO, Coral Springs, everybody did the best they could. We did the best we could with the information we had, and God knows we wish we had more. What do you point. say to the family, Scott? I know it's emotional for them today, too, but this obviously isn't the outcome they wanted. Do you have any response to you know what I tell? You know what I tell the families? I would love to talk to them. I have no, no problem calling Mark, saying, Hey, we want to talk. We'd like to know everything. I'm there. I would I would have been there from day one. So my I'll always be there. If they if they need to really know the truth of what occurred and not only my actions, but what occurred, I'm there for them. I, I me and Lydia, we've mourned with them for four and a half years. We, you know, I seen some of these family members and I'd love to went over to them and hugged them and said, God, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, you know, I know that's maybe not what they're feeling at this point. Maybe now, maybe they'll get a little understanding, And but I'll be there for them. I'll be there for them. How could I not? What about the prosecution? What do you say to the prosecutors? I'll, I'll, I'll let Mark talk about that. We are extremely, we are extremely pleased with the outcome today. But understand something. A very emotional Scott Peterson reacting to the not guilty verdict that was returned to him, saying. Phil, your thoughts. Oh, I have some thoughts. I want to just piggyback a little bit what Mike said. Now, obviously, it is a legal ground and then there's an ethical ground. Uh, it doesn't seem like he broke any laws based on his actions. But, Mike, you talked about, you know, hearing shots fired, working up in the Bronx. The shit hits the fan. You hear shots. What do you do? Normally, you're going to take your weapon out and you're going to take cover. It didn't look like he was trying to take cover. He looked very confused in the videos that I saw, running back and forth. Yes, he was on the radio. He was reporting that there were shots fired. But uh, to me, he could have uh, you know, gone a little further, uh, maybe gotten closer to that building to see where the shots were coming from. Now, the little bit of research that I did today earlier, uh, Cruz entered a third-floor teacher's lounge, and he tried to shoot through a window that he wanted to make access 
where people would be running out of the school and then he would just be picking them off. Thank God he was unable to. I believe there was some uh, wire in between the window and he wasn't able to get through to that window. But God forbid he had gotten through that window and had an open shot at a courtyard, let's say, where people were fleeing. It would have really been more horrific than it was. But the point I was trying to make is that uh, it doesn't look like his training kicked in. Whatever training he had as a police officer, you know, you hear shots. You're going to take cover. You're going to try and assess where the shots are coming from, move forward, going in, uh, towards the, the gunfire, you know. And now, if if he felt that the shots were coming towards him, perhaps he might have taken cover. I don't know. But uh, I think all of the things that we see, uh, the evidence that was uh, presented at this trial uh, legally, no, I don't think he broke any laws, but ethically and morally, yeah, he, he could have done a better job. Absolutely. You know, something I, I just again, I want to play this uh, Chief Scott Israel. He was interviewed by Jay Tapper on CNN, and uh, just, I'll just play a little bit of it and we can comment on it afterwards. Deputy Scott Peterson, um, Coral Springs arrived, a group of Coral Springs officers went in. Uh, within, I think, about four minutes, we're, we're projecting uh, after the killer left the campus. The, uh, I understand that they're going to give statements to us uh, regarding the other three, four, five deputies. At this point, we have no reason to believe that anyone acted incorrectly or correctly. That's what an investigation is. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but nobody's entitled to their own set of facts. We do know, Jake, that... Uh, Deputy Peterson at the time uttered, um, uh, he disseminated information over the police radio. We don't know why those dep if what those deputies heard. Perhaps they did something by what they heard from Peterson, uh, and that will be, uh, you know, uh, outlined in interviews. We'll get to the truth. But at this point, one deputy was remiss, dereliction of duty. And he's now no longer with this agency. Yeah, you're That's Peterson. You're saying that because during the time that the shooter was in the school, you say Peterson was the only one there. But that's not that wasn't known at the time. You know that now because of security cameras you saw when he left the school. This is Correct. after the fact. But when did your deputies, not Peterson, but the others, when did they arrive on the scene? Because Coral Springs sources say when Coral Springs police arrived, there were Broward deputies there in addition to Peterson. And I don't dispute that, but that is an active investigation. We have not taken state, statements yet from the Coral Springs officers. We found out, I believe, five or six uh, days ago from their police chief that uh, he told one of our colonels about the, about the information. We're going to be taking statements from those Coral Springs police officers. Well, then we're going to be speaking with our deputies. If any of deputies uh, are alleged to have dere uh, dereliction of duty, we'll look into that. Um, we don't know what the deputies heard on the radio. Coral Springs and, and uh, the Broward Sheriff's Office, we have different radio systems. So we don't know what one was hearing vis-a-vis -vis what the other was hearing. All I could tell you is we will investigate every action of our deputies, of their supervisors. And if they did things right, we'll move forward. And if they did things wrong, I will take care of business in a disciplinary manner like I did with uh, Peterson. And just, just so people who are watching at home understand, I'm just amazed at how quickly he threw him under the bus without uh, the completion of an investigation. And an investigation like this could take, you know, six months to a year to get all the facts in. 
And, you know, it reminds me of, um, of course, again, the horrific job we saw in Uvalde, Texas, where there was no doubt it was a um, it was definitely a, uh, a problem with leadership, that there was no leadership telling the officers what to do. And we, we did many shows on the Uvalde active shooting. And, and what we had determined was that in a situation like that, the officers don't have to obey the, the order. If the order is an unlawful order, clearly as it was in Uvalde, don't go in the building as you hear students getting shot by an active shooter. Police officers are only required to obey lawful orders. Mike, back me up here. I don't want to have things thrown at me. No, Billy, we saw, you know, and we've seen some uh, excellent police responses to active shooter cases. And uh, it's, it's something really done on the ground level, the patrolman and the sergeant. You're not waiting for a chief to tell you what to do. You're paid to think on your feet and to react as quickly as you possibly can. Hopefully what you end up doing, it can, uh, can make, you know, some sort of measurable difference rather than sitting on your hands. But uh, yeah, there's, there was way too much waiting around in Uvalde. I can't imagine working in the four, six or three Oh cops, even if they were unsupervised, just sitting around waiting, they would have been climbing all over that building, climbing in the windows, looking for the shooter. Mike, um, they were told to stand down at some point in Uvalde several yeah. times. So there was definitely a lack of leadership in that. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. You know, I said, when we covered the Uvalde case, you wouldn't have been able to hold back our ears. No, guys. No they would way. have been, you know, but you know, their boss would be with them. So, right. you know, ESU, the boss goes in with them, just like the Plus, you had a student inside the school calling 911, and they were transmitting that information that, yes, he's in the room, and, and the things that were going on, there were people alive, you know, able to communicate through 911 to the officers on the scene. I, you know, how they held back from that, like you said, uh, you know, in New York, we think that they probably would have said, the hell with the web's telling us not to go in and try to make an entry, but... Uh, you know, I guess that's Monday morning quarterbacking. But with all that information in that case, that was a terrible, terrible tragedy. Let me just go to this little file tape on the Uvalde uh, chief. Morning in Uvalde, embattled school police chief Pete Arredondo has been fired. All in favor? Motion passes unanimously. Emotions among students and families quickly running high. I have messages for Pete Arredondo and all the law enforcement that were there that day. Turn in your badge and step down. You don't deserve to wear one. Our babies are dead. Our teachers are dead. Our parents are dead. The termination comes exactly three months after a gunman claimed the lives of 19 children and two teachers at Robb Elementary. Brett Cross, the uncle and guardian of Uzziah Garcia, says victims like Uzziah deserve justice. He's never going to graduate from high school. He's never going to have his first date, his first car. None of that. He will forever be 10 years old. Though absent from the meeting, Arredondo having his say in a lengthy 17-page statement sent to the school board, his lawyer accusing the board of an unconstitutional public lynching, writing the board has not followed proper procedure and refuses to provide a written complaint against Arredondo, adding none of his decisions or actions demonstrate a failure to meet the accepted standards of conduct for law enforcement officers in similarly situated school districts in Texas. Arredondo has faced widespread...
scrutiny for the delayed response to the shooting. Officials say it took authorities 77 minutes to engage the shooter. The shots have come in through that wall, so you know. The Texas legislature releasing a fact-finding report last month, faulting the police response for egregiously poor decision-making, adding officers failed to prioritize saving the lives of innocent victims over their own safety. In that report, Arredondo telling the committee he didn't consider himself the incident commander. But Uvalde families glad to see some results even three months later. We did something. We got something accomplished finally. And no word yet on whether Arredondo plans to appeal uh, this decision. His attorney yesterday afternoon calling for him to be reinstated with back pay and benefits. We did reach out to both Arredondo and his attorney after this decision was announced, but have not heard back. Melanie, your thoughts here. You know, I'm not familiar enough with this case to specifically talk specifics about it. And because I think um, I tend to shy away from these school shooting cases. I don't like them. I don't like to dig into them. So uh, really, this Peterson one was the first one that I've really, aside from Columbine, because I lived in Colorado. And so Columbine was, I mean, that's all the way back in 1999. And really, what what has changed since then? Uh, not a lot. You know, you guys talk about what the NYPD would have done in a situation like this. And you guys are so much more well-trained, right, than, than this Scott Peterson probably was. I mean, I'm going to bet you're at a different level. Um, you know, but you know, so Melanie, somebody's was a, Florida, a whole different animal. Yeah, but some of these Florida police departments, are, and uh, they're very well-trained because they get as much violence and as many shootings as we get in New York. And especially when you talk about Miami, uh, you know, some of the, the inner cities of Florida, they're no joke, you know, and, and some of them are very, very well trained. And I think Broward County is one of the counties in Florida that are very well trained. But, you know, you can't you can't teach courage. I'll put it that way. Phil. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Peter Prince will put a. Uh... A message in the chat. 90% of all gun runs, officers go without a boss. They just go. What he's talking about is we get a call of man with a gun, shots fired, something of that nature. 90, probably more than 90%, 95% of the time, the officers respond. They take action. They get to the scene. They assess what's going on or they try to assess what it, and they act instinctively within milliseconds, obviously. In this case, uh, you know, we talked about it almost ad nauseum. It doesn't look like he did that much. He did get on the radio. He did. Res uh, I think that's probably what saved him in the courtroom that he did a uh, call for backup saying that there were shots being fired. He wasn't sure where they were coming from or whatever. But, uh, you know, Lieutenant Pete makes a great, great point. We instinctively, uh, you know, the, all the things that you learn from the police academy and all your years on the job. It kicks in at that moment when you, uh, you know, the shit hits the fan, as they say. Uh, you're going mostly on impulse and you're going on reaction and you're going on your your training. And uh, it doesn't look like he uh, and I bet in, in that Uvalde case, there was probably 90% uh, of those officers wanted to go in. They were told to stand down several times. And then uh, another agency that was present on the scene, I forgot what agency they were from, a SWAT team uh, said, you know what, we're going in. They went in and they neutralized. I think it was the, tex the Texas Rangers, I think. Okay, okay, uh, okay. Uh, what's the obsession? Thanks for the $5 super sticker. What does the panel think about Scott Peterson not having any backup 
when this went down, I asked respectfully, can you imagine facing that without a partner? Well, you know something? Yeah, that's that would be very scary to, to go against an active shooter uh, by yourself. Absolutely. But, you know, something you're actually expected to do that. You're not expected to commit suicide. You use tactics and you approach him very carefully. And, right. you know, you exactly. try to get exactly. on the radio and get back up to where you are. But at the very least, you got to go towards the shots. You can't pretend that you're not hearing them and stay outside uh, with the safety of brick walls between you and the shooter. Billy, he was clearly outgunned. There's no question about that. He probably had a nine millimeter. The shooter had an AR-15. But you just made a good point. Uh, using a cover, a tactics, a brick wall, a staircase, whatever it was, you know, you're not gonna listen. You're not gonna walk right into somebody gun blazing it and just put yourself out in the open and you know leave yourself no cover. That's not what you're trained to do. But I think if the shots were fur further enough away, he could have, uh, you know, uh, gone forward and, and advanced to see where they were coming from. And listen, if he can get a shot off of the guy, like I said, the whole mindset changes when you're firing shots and now the shots are coming at you. Everything changes. And I think that's what the goal is to try and, you know, we say neutralize the threat. Fire some shots in his direction. May, perhaps he may take off. He may stop shooting. May try to reload his gun, whatever it is. So, again, uh, it, it's just... Uh, it doesn't seem like any of that was followed in this case. You know, ESU used to always tell this story. They would say, you know, there'd be a guy inside an apartment with a gun. And he'd say, hey, be I'm not being taken alive. And then they would go, and he'd be, all right, I'll be right out. Right, right. <laughs> as soon as he heard the slide the rack, and that the rack shotgun, of the shotgun, he decided yeah, yeah. life was more important than being a tough guy, you know. And Absolutely. Uh, let me play a little bit of this from uh, this was an interview with Scott Peterson after the interview with Scott Peterson, the armed resource officer on duty during the Parkland school shooting on Tuesday. He shared his moment by moment account of what happened that day. Well, today we pick up the story when he found out he was being forced to resign and later would be accused of being a coward. It was surreal. It was like I, I didn't know what was going on. It was a shock to me. They never said, hey, explain your actions here. We have a few questions. No, nothing. Because I know I didn't violate any policy or procedure. I've been with the agency 32 years. I know the policies. I know the procedures. I communicated right on that scene. I did everything that I, I felt at the time was appropriate. You cannot violate policy and procedures and still not get it right. Right. You're absolutely right. Is that what happened here? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, like I said, Savannah, this will haunt me the rest of my life. It will. Those are my kids, you know, those are my kids. So, and that's why it hurts the way it does. Eight days after the Parkland shooting, it would be Scott Peterson's last day as a police officer, but he didn't know why until this. And he never went in. The captain was driving me home and my phone started, you know, going off saying that, you know, Sheriff Israel is basically, you know, ripping you apart. You know, people started to text me. What matters is that when we in law enforcement arrive at an active shooter, we go in and address the target. And that's what should have been done. You know, I can't but help uh, but think that Sheriff Israel did this for political reasons, to save his own ass. 100%. And it, it backfired on him because no good boss would throw their guy under the bus the way he did on a national level. I thought it was particularly despicable. And I, I've almost, well, I should say I've never seen an NYPD boss do that. I've seen it done. But for the most part, 
most big bosses will have your back. But it, again, it all it does depend on the politics. And this became very, very political. Look, Trump made a statement about this. So uh, it was out there on a, on a political level. He said you did nothing when you clearly knew there was a shooter inside. He said you clearly knew based on what he had seen. It's not true. It's untrue. Joe DeRuzzo is Scott Peterson's attorney. I don't think a, a crime scene that's that big with that many witnesses, with that many people injured, that you could have completed a full investigation within eight days. I don't think it's possible. He waited and he didn't want to go into the school. President Trump weighed in. Did you hear what he said? Part of it, part of it. And you know, President Trump, the only thing I could, the only thing I can think is he went on the, the false narrative of Sheriff Scott Israel. But you know what, we are living in a free country. I mean, you know, it just hurts, you know. That's the commander in chief, that's the, you know, that's the president. It's tough, you know, I have two kids in the military. It's tough, you know, my boys. This man standing outside of the school the other day doesn't love the children. President said he thought a school resource officer doesn't love the kids. That's what he said. He doesn't know, he wasn't there. You know, it's, it's easy to make comments and say things you know, in Washington, D.C., you weren't there. You didn't know what I believed and what I assessed and what I heard those those first few minutes on that scene. I think it was just easy for them to make me, you know, the punching bag. This is one of the that's... worst things that's ever happened, one of the worst school shootings. And you're getting blamed for not stopping it. If I knew everything, I would have been in there and engaging that, that shooter. And you know what? May, hopefully I would have shot him he might have shot me. I don't know the what ifs, but it just, it, it's been hard. I mean, but it, you know, it's nothing compared to what these families went through. They lost their kids, you know, and kids were killed and injured. They lost, you know, I'm alive. I mean, going through what I went through, it's horrifying because as a police officer, if you're a coward, that's the worst label you could have as a police officer. And 100%. I don't think there's any worse label you can have put on you as a cop than being a coward or not backing up your fellow law enforcement officers or not rising to the occasion in a situation like this. I, I don't think there is anything worse. He's right. But again, with this whole case, I feel he's been punished a lot already. And I think that the rest of his life he's going to be punished just with this memory of perhaps the guilt of inaction. And if he f truly feels no guilt, uh, you know, then that's it. that's his, his thoughts. Maybe he needs to feel that. But I would think a lot from what I've seen, a lot of the families, a lot of the parents, I don't think they're going to want to talk to him I about his feelings after this trial. Uh, and I don't know if it gets any better for a parent that uh, lost their child in a situation like this. Melanie? No, I mean, I don't think you would ever get over losing your child. Never. I don't think Mike? so. Yeah, Billy, you know, nobody expected uh, Scott Peterson to be Superman that day. But you, you, he didn't actually try to even try to enter that building, look around and go from building to building. You and I and Phil, you respond to these calls. You don't know if you're going to get there in time to save someone's life or you're going to get there 
and you're going to find a person who's just been uh, killed 30 seconds before you got there. You don't know. You do the best you can. If he had only entered the building uh, and tried and he didn't and, you know, he did what was, you know, less than what was expected of him. We didn't expect him to be a hero, but expect him to do something. And I think that's what the whole, you know, the whole prosecution was, was basically calling not, you know, calling nine one and saying we got a shooter or calling a code red. Okay. That's fine. They get Phil pointed that out. Maybe that was something that really played in his, uh, to his advantage. But if that's all you could possibly do, with 30 years experience on the police department, you know, I have to just shake my head. Uh, it's, it's a sad, terrible uh, situation ordeal for everyone concerned, especially those parents who lost their children. 100%. Phil, want to do a quick commercial here? Sure. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Joe Murray is a criminal defense attorney in the New York City area. He's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He was also on the boxing team. So if you have need for a criminal defense attorney, perhaps Joe Murray can deliver that knockout punch on your case. If you want to reach Joe, his website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. I have Joe's phone number in my phone. And if you're in the New York area and you need some uh, criminal defense attorney, uh, whether it be uh, just a consultation or if you do have an active case, Joe's your man. No, I'm calling 1-800-MELANIE. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We have to have a little levity here. Uh, oh, my God. Look at this Schmitty. Schmitty Thank with you the so much. Chat. Thank you. Being in the field of communications and decisions made in the moment without a team, while there is fault, it's in the moment. People do their best. I feel for this guy. Haunting. I can relate. Schmitty, I, to tell you the truth, I feel for him too. But I still, I have to be, uh, play devil's advocate. And um, I think he didn't do the right thing. I didn't think he had a good day that day. Let's put it that way. I don't think he did a good job. He didn't do his best job that day. How much do you think they were paying him? Was he a retired no, police no, officer? No, I don't think he was active. He was active in the Broward County Sheriff's Office. Yeah, right? okay. I'm just wondering. Days, I don't probably... think these guys get paid enough. You know, is he getting paid 20 bucks an hour? Like, I, I don't know. No, 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 these no, guys no. Are he, probably, he probably makes about 130000 140000 a year. Yeah, he's got to be in that category for sure. Yeah. 30 years on the job, maybe even one hundred fifty. But listen, whatever the... the uh, the pay scale is, and uh, it's about the training, I think, is probably, yeah. you know, uh, he, he's going to have to live with himself. We've said that numerous times, uh, you know, and, and I can't stress it enough because I think of the mindset of the shooter. He's in control. He's got the power. He's firing all these shots, and he's in control, and he's killing people. And I'm telling you, if one or two bullets come his way, it just changes the whole dynamic, and that may have saved lives. And listen, in four minutes and 15 seconds, doesn't seem like a long time. But, uh, I mean, you hear the shots going off. A lot of shots were fired there. Uh, I think the fact that perhaps, from what I read, they think his, his, uh, his rifle jammed, and that's when he exited the school. Uh, he couldn't get through that window that they were talking about where he wanted to uh, open up on the people uh, that were fleeing the school. So, uh, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, that changes everything. If there's, 
you know, if there's shots coming your way, everything that you planned upon, you didn't plan upon, you know, now the, the realization of, of uh, you know, self-preservation kicks in. You don't want to die. I mean, it's a, it's a natural instinct. You know, you're being shot at now. It changes everything. Your plan goes right out the window, and now maybe you want to escape. And I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately in this case, there was no challenge to this, excuse my language, this scumbag maniac. I just want to clarify something that I said because I was not insinuating that he was thinking about money in the moment. That is not what I was saying. What I was saying was that I think that all law enforcement should be paid a lot more than they are for risking their lives every single day to go to work. Thank you. Because a lot of people are paid a lot more money to not risk their job, risk their lives every day to go to work. So I just don't think it's enough, whatever it is. Oh, that's for sure. Another thing I was thinking as I watched them read the verdict, because that was really, really hard to watch. I mean, when they read the verdict, I thought that's the video you were going to show earlier when you showed him being interviewed after they read the verdict was, oh, my God, this guy's only 54 years old. No, but now he's 60. Because that was he was 54 when this started. Yeah. When it started. Now he's. uh, I'm sure he's aged a lot in the past five or six years also just from. You know, I just want to bring up a concept, that, and I think you guys, the former members of the service, know. And there's a concept of the police being a warrior or a public servant. And I would like to think of myself, and I think Phil, as, as we were warriors on the NYPD. But there's many people that go on the job to be public service. And believe it or not, the, the city government wants you to be a public service. They want you to you know, shake hands, kiss babies, and, you know, uh, do aiding cases. They don't want crime fighters. But sometimes you're forced into being a warrior in situations like this. And let's face it, a school resource officer is not a warrior by just by that job. A certain type of personality takes that job, wants to be the school, and, uh, you know, a kinder, kinder gentler community community policing type officer definitely not a warrior type uh professor mike you want to comment on that yeah billy you know you 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 you, we you know as you go becoming a rookie and you figure out what you want to do how you want to approach crime yeah your personality is part of it if you're combative you want to make uh make a lot of arrests and that's what people do god bless the cops we have plenty of them um depending on your on how you view life, what you want to do with your career. You might just want to walk a foot post, go to school at night, do something like that. Um, but yeah, when, when the shots, when the shots are fired and you're the one standing there in a blue uniform, you can't, you got to stop kissing the babies. You got to take out your firearm. You got to address the situation. And that's just the way it goes. Uh, you know, absolutely. And once as Phil's right, we, we know this from, from seeing these school shooters uh, is that, the moment a bullet comes flying in their direction, they usually cease what they're doing because it changes their entire world outlook instantly. And that's the most effective thing you do. Just one one bullet in their direction. And that's what Scott Peterson failed to do. Scott, uh, he's an NYPD detective. Uh, school resource officer wants to give out pizza and hugs, not be a cop. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I don't want to be that harsh in this situation because I think we all have sympathy for Officer Scott Peterson. And I think I'm, uh, I didn't want to see him go to jail or get convicted. I really didn't. I think he's suffered a not, uh, enough. But 
I think if I was a parent of one of these kids, I perhaps would feel differently. And I would want my piece of, you know, my piece of meat, so to speak, in this. And I wouldn't be happy that he didn't get convicted. But as Melanie said early on in the beginning of the show, this was an overreach. They've charged, they way overcharged because it was politically, politically driven charges. Melanie. Yeah, I think they just wanted somebody else to blame. But, you know, they had warnings about this shooter. I mean, let's let's look at that. You know, where are those people who knew about this kid, who knew that he was going to go shoot up the school? They were warned about this. They knew about, you know, there are so many other layers of failures that happened before this shooting that it got to a place where this monster walked into a school and killed 17 people. So I think that there are a lot of other failures here, you know, and hindsight is twenty twenty. And could he have done more? Yes. If he had done more, would it have changed the outcome? We don't know. But it would have changed the outcome if somebody intervened and, and, and got to Nicholas Cruz and, and threw him in juvie or, or was able to do something to prevent this from happening. It well, was you know, already Melody, happening when the Broward County involved. Melanie, the Brownie, Broward County Police said that they responded to 23 jobs uh, to his residence and yeah. had so. And according to them, they didn't. I'd like to investigate those jobs and see what happened. The law didn't allow them to arrest him for apparently for what he did in those incidences. I don't know what the incidents were, but it would seem to me. At the very least, if he's making threats, you should check to see if he has any weapons. And well, we heard that nine one one, the nine one one call that you played in the beginning. Remember, there was a woman who said, "You need to get over here. He's got a lot of weapons. He held, he already held a gun to his brother's head. So I know right. that he's a problem, right? Wasn't that referring to him? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. So I wonder why they didn't take his guns from him. That's you know, yeah. So they they knew. I mean. Based on that, and that woman, by the way, on the 911 call was very, you know, blase about the whole thing. It was just another Tuesday for her. Like, oh, yeah, he's, he held a gun to his brother's head, so you might want to come over here and, you know, maybe do something about it. Crazy. Mary Michael, thanks for the 999 super sticker. It will always be questioned if he did right or wrong. It will always haunt him, and it will always be easier to be a critic than an actor. Would love to think I would run to help out, but. No, Mary Michael, you're right. And all of us could say, oh, I would have ran into that building. I would have put my S on my shirt and ran right up to him. But, you know, something I can tell you that we would do that because we've done it before. So I'm not I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking out of school. Uh, but then you look at a guy who does do something right like Daniel Penny on the New York City subway and look at what's happening to him. He did step up. He did do something. He tried to protect people. Now they're going to try him for murder. Good so point. it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like people don't know what to do anymore. People are so confused because it's just like, oh, well, I could go to jail if I do do something. I could go to jail if I don't do something. It's like so messed up. Billy, can I make a point? You were talking about the uh, the warrior and the civil service. I always felt that there were four classes of police officers. Super cop that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all they thought about was making a collar. They were the active guys. 
There was the guys that had family, showed up to work, did what they had to do to get by, and then there were total zero. So there's four categories. I put myself in the active category. I was always never afraid to make a, uh, an arrest or take a collar. Uh, I don't think I was a super cop. I'm not putting myself in that category. But even if you're the civil servant, the one that comes to work just to do the job or the do-nothing, when the shit hits the fan, uh, you become a warrior sometime. I'm going to uh, mention a police officer, Maura Smith. I don't know her from before 9-11. She was killed on 9-11. I don't know if she was a warrior, she was a super cop, or if she was just a, a, you know, come to work and do the job. But she put on gloves. She was helping aides. She had gone in and out of the trade center three and four times, and then the buildings collapsed on her and she was killed. So sometimes, even if you're d that civil servant, you're not the warrior. When the shit hits the fan, you become the warrior. The training kicks in. Maura Smith got in there. She got her hands dirty. She was helping bloody people come out of that building. She went in three and four times, and unfortunately, she, unfortunately, she lost her life. But in this case, uh, you know, it just uh, there was a lot left to be desired by the actions of Peterson. One hundred percent, Schmitty. Thanks again for the five dollar super sticker all star panel. I appreciate your expertise and engagement. Gold. Thank, Thank you. you. A Thanks, plus 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 plus. Amen. Mary uh, Mary Michael. Thank you so much, Schmitty. You know, guys, I think that we we covered this uh, pretty damn well. And I, and I wanted to cover this with uh, as much sensitivity as possible. And I don't agree that um, Officer Scott Peterson did a good job that day. I think that he he, he didn't uh, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. I, I did, that's my feelings. But at the same time, I don't want to beat him to death. He's already been beaten down. It's like the old expression, don't beat a dead horse. He's already been punished, and he's going to be punished for the rest of his life with just the 14 faces of the kids that lost their lives and the three adults that lost their lives. And the potentiality that had he done something different, maybe he could have saved a couple of those lives. You know, Maybe nothing would have changed. But you always second-guess yourself. I'm going to go around the panel and I'm going to give everyone uh, final words. I might as well go to my uh, right next to me, the beautiful Melanie, attorney Melanie Little. Melanie, your final thoughts. Well, first I want to say that I think you are all super cops in my eyes. <laughs> so Phil, you, despite what you thank think, you. you are a super cop, all three of you. And 1-800-MELANY! <laughs> <laughs> And She's as, as always, our, our thoughts and prayers are with the families of the victims. I can't imagine what they are going through, um, what they will have to live with for the rest of their lives, having lost children and family members. And it's 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 horrifying on so many levels. And um, yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's pretty much my final thoughts on this. Okay. And uh, Professor Mike, and I don't mean, I, I didn't mean that you're heartless, Mike. I just, because <laughs> sometimes I hear it in the chat, people say, you know something, Cannon, you pick on Professor Geary too much. Stop picking on him. I don't pick on him. Your conscience is getting to you, Billy. This yeah, is your yeah, conscience. People don't understand cop humor sometimes. But anyway, yeah. Mike, your final thoughts. I got some very, very sensitive fans, Billy. <laughs> now, I just want to say what uh, Melanie hits on something really excellent is that there was so many failures in this case, Nicholas Cruz case, all the way going back several years before it actually happened. People calling the authorities and letting them know this guy's a monster. This guy's crazy. This guy may just actually go into a school and shoot it up. Scott Peterson happened to be the last person in line holding the hot potato when it blew up. 
And for that, um, he gets, you know, he's on trial. But many of the people could have lost their jobs, been fired, uh, been reprimanded and uh, made fun of and scapegoated. But unfortunately, it all falls on his shoulders. Pretty good final thoughts, Mike. And now we're going to go to a straight out of Brooklyn. Phil Grimaldi, your final thoughts, Phil. Final thoughts. I don't want to diminish what Peterson was faced with. He was faced with uh, a horror. I mean, an active shooter is probably the worst thing you could come upon in policing in this country. I mean, let's face it. This is a homicidal maniac that's killing innocent kids, innocent kids in school. Think about it. And he has to go up against this. Now, I get it. But our training comes into play. We know that we need to act. We need to go towards the shooting, go towards the shooter and try and neutralize the shooter. I made the point, Mike uh, brought it up. Uh, sometimes one or two shots in the direction of the shooter might change the whole dynamic. We don't know what would have happened had he entered that, that school and fired some shots in the direction of uh, the mass shooter, uh, the maniac, the psycho homicidal killer. But uh, we did see that he uh, did radio for help, uh, but we don't think that he acted uh, uh, with enough uh, you know, priority to try and stop what was taking place. Again, I don't think he was criminally responsible. I think that the jury came with the right decision. And unfortunately, uh, those lives were lost and he's going to live with that for the rest of his life. And that's probably going to be his sentence that he's going to live with it for the rest of his life. Absolutely. I want to thank our panel tonight, attorney Melanie Little, uh, Professor Michael Geary, and retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. And you guys, I want to thank all of our fans, our subscribers, our friends. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Have a great night, everyone. Stay safe, everyone. Good night, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.